0: We are not here to just have a network that never goes down. We are here to have a platform that's delivering value to the business and making that value apparent to everybody else in the organization is kind
1: of how you drive it. Experimentation and the cost of trying is one of the biggest predictors of how big a failure you will have as a business. Because if the cost of experimentation is very, very high, then when things inevitably do go wrong, be it security, be it the wrong idea being launched to market, then the cost of the business is phenomenal. Welcome to the CIO Exchange Podcast. I'm Edine Porter de Leon. Now that the digital
2: experience is the only experience that customers are having with businesses, the modernization of application portfolios has become more important than ever. With the shelter-in-place economy, redefining how the various parts of the market interact, how do technology leaders create customer-employee experiences that provide the critical business value that's needed right now? In this hallway-style conversation between Bruce Davey, VMware CTO for APJ, and Roman Tarnowski, Principal Architect, we talk about the complexities of modernizing applications at scale, from communicating the business value, attracting talent, setting metrics, to the importance of open-source software. Roman, Bruce, a lot of executives, a lot of technology leaders are really struggling with that modernization of applications, that digital transformation, which means everything and absolutely nothing. And one of the big things is, is how do they innovate? How do they modernize without disruption? A lot of them have a lot of responsibility. They're in healthcare, they're in finance, and they're struggling with how do I move my application forward, make it backwards compatible, make it work with my legacy mountain, but actually deliver the value that the business is trying to deliver to differentiate themselves in the market. How do you start that conversation with an executive?
0: Probably a good way to think of it is a sort of old school CIO who was really focused on just trying to optimize the costs, and keeping the lights on kind of very standard, responsible for infrastructure more as a cost center. And it's kind of a truism at this point to say that the modern CIO is much more focused on how do they deliver value to the business. So I think when we think about that in terms of modernizing applications, it's all gonna be driven around how do the applications bring value to the business? And maybe Roman, you could comment a little bit on, there's a lot of different ways that people think about modernizing applications.
1: So like, what are some of the conversations that you've had? Yeah, and I think it's important to not always critique those that are trying to focus on optimizing and take cost out because whilst they're taking cost out, they're setting themselves up to innovate, they're setting themselves up to automate. So most of the conversations that we're having is actually around friction. Namely, how do I remove the level of friction from bringing an idea to production? So for example, if I look at the development community, how do I make sure that all of my infrastructure is API driven? How do I have that level of automation throughout my security so that my governance is automatic, so that, when I think about bringing a new application to production, it's not a manual process. Those are the key things so that we want to make sure that we streamline throughout all conversations.
0: Yeah, it's a good point you make actually are about the value of optimization too, is that if you actually can drive out a few percent of cost out of your infrastructure, that's now money you've freed up to go and spend on things like developing modern apps. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I've talked a bit about how there's lots of different things you can do. Like you can retire an app because it's no longer really delivering value. You can replace it with something else like a SaaS alternative to that app. I guess what we often think of as the most expensive one is refactoring. And that's often where we come in to chat about how can we help
1: Yeah, and it's one that you have to start from first principles, right? Like if you're refactoring an application, you have to think, first of all, do I really need this? Like what is the business process that I'm automating that's adding value to my customers? And as you're going through this process, you start to think about what are the metrics that I'm measuring as part of this A, automation, and B, that the lines of business are actually measuring me on as a CIO as I'm going through this process. And so one of the key metrics that a lot of organizations are using is actually time to production. So from the time that I come up with an idea, how long does it take for me to validate that with an end customer? And as you know, one of the public references that has been time and time again utilized is the work that our Pivotal team has actually done with Service New South Wales with digital licenses. And that's something that would typically take an organization literally months, if not years, to go through the rigmarole of being able to take a heavily bureaucratic environment and to create a process that is able to deliver applications into the hands of modern consumers. And in this case, directly impact the citizen experience. And they've been able to do that instead of taking the months into weeks of being able to bring new functions to market. Yeah, so the time to market
0: is really a key metric there.
2: That really fascinates me because I know there can be some gaming of application development based on whatever you're measuring, like key metrics. So if you're trying to market, like, let's collapse this or let's crash this project so that we can make this look really good on paper so the ROI is good, so the budget gets approved. What I see in certain circumstances for those really looking forward to change the way they do business from an IT perspective is it's not just about putting a new app in or refactoring an app. It's about changing the way they actually deliver the application production, the way that they platform for Application and the way they've actually developed. Could you kind of give me a sense of how you could walk someone through, okay, what's that culture shift? And they'll say, Do I need to do Agile? Do I do CI, CD? How do I do all this stuff? Do I need to go pivotal? How do I make this work so that I can not just do this one app in three months? How can I get every app from three months then to three weeks and then continually
1: deliver? I, I like the fact that as you were speaking, your voice changed and the level of emotion that you're inferring is actually quite significant. And when you talk to a lot of enterprises, How often do you go, oh, I really want to go and work on a 15-year-old Java problem, (laughs) or I really want to go and unclog this monstrosity. And so a lot of organizations are actually using the languages, using the frameworks, the CICD primitives that they have in their organizations as new hiring practices. They will literally in the job description say, you will be able to be productive day one. You will push code out into production on the first day that you start with us. Wow! And these are the languages that we use, these are the frameworks. We want to hire the best so that they are excited. So they are as emotive as you are when you're describing it.
2: Yeah, I get excited about this. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it really fascinates me because it's a total shift of, hey, let's do the next thing. Let's get this next waterfall project out too hey, let's actually create a way in which we can, like you said, I, th- I love that point is actually hire the latest talent because talent is a huge issue, especially if you're not in Silicon Valley or you're not in Silicon Beach or you're not in London or you're not in some of these really attractive places where you get high quality talent. How do I pull people in if I'm Gallo and I'm a winery who's doing some really great stuff, but how do you get to that point?
0: Yeah. So yeah, Obviously, you've got to have an environment that people want to work in and as you say, if, if it takes you six months to deliver something, mm-hmm. that's it's you know, very discouraging. I think it's also really important to be always thinking, how is whatever we're doing driving the business? That you, know, you should not modernize an app if it doesn't deliver a lot of value to the business. And you should be thinking about, what am I going to get out of modernizing an app? Like one of the things we think about with sort of modern application development is it's it's not just a shorter time to market, it's higher availability, its ability to quickly scale out that application if it's successful, so you can do something at a very low scale to see if it's going to fly. And then if it does take off, you can very quickly apply more resources to that application so that it actually will take off and sustain. I guess it's the, the old fail fast thing that you can try something new if it's easy to scale it out, if it works. And then it's only a short investment and you find out it doesn't work, then it's okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think experimentation and the cost of trying is one of the biggest predictors of how big a failure you will have as a business. Because if the cost of experimentation is very, very high, then when things inevitably do go wrong, be it security, be it the wrong idea being launched to market, then the cost of the business is phenomenal. The other thing I think is pretty important to bear in mind in
0: these discussions is the role of security. Mm -hmm. And I think when we talk about getting things to market more quickly, we often think about bringing new functionality to market. But often, you've got to make a critical change to an application to keep it secure. And that ability to continually update your code, I think that's another thing that we often maybe don't put at the front of the discussion, but maybe we should.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. So there's this idea of continuous integration and delivery. And integration very much looks at the workflows. So things like code linting to making sure that the security of the libraries that you're using is intact, but all the way into production and validating that with the users in hand, in this case, we aren't introducing features that are taking away from the security of that specific application. And being able to design that directly at the time of application creation is absolutely paramount. It can't be an afterthought anymore. It can't be once it's in production, which ports are open, how do I now secure it? It's about How do I make sure that from the get-go, when we're thinking about it, is the right application talking to the right services? Are my partners enabled to appropriately enrich the data in a way that I'm not introducing risk into the organization? And if I have made a mistake, how rapidly can I remediate that? Can I push out a fix that is in the hands of my users as rapidly as possible?
2: It's interesting because I was talking to one CIO, or actually it was a CISO, and they said the usual paradigm was someone would create this application and then they would come to me and they'd say, hey. Can you tell me if it's secure? (laughs) And. The secure by design, like saying, like making sure your libraries are secure. You think that's a governance issue with a lot of companies because a lot of the times you'll have maybe smart people, well-intentioned people, talented individuals who know how to code, people who know how to thought architects, they'll know how to platform, but you don't have a governance structure in place that ensures that security is embedded in there, that the governance to actually ensure that you're looking at what the customer experience is going to be and then having that feedback into the actual code that's pushed into production do you see people struggling with governance and do you talk to companies and say, hey, look, I know you're excited about this. I know you want to do this continuous integration, continuous delivery, but let's take a step back and let's make sure that we're setting you up for success and not just from a technology standpoint, from an operational standpoint.
1: I'm not sure if it's just the government's governance issue. It's more around teams have very seldom operated as product organizations. Security was always an afterthought. Backup and recovery was an afterthought. Availability was an afterthought. It was another team that used to manage it. And only now are we trying to organize ourselves into product organizations that deliver a single function. And we think of them as a single homogenous team that's responsible for the outcome. And that takes away a lot of the pain associated with security and a lot of the governance that you're alluding to. So it's no longer this scary thought when you're trying to secure things. It's just the byproduct of how we do things from the get-go. Yeah, it's worth, I think, remembering that when people talk about DevOps, if you just expand what the word means,
0: people think, well, it's bringing developers together with operations. If you actually look at a picture of a DevOps team, it normally involves people with a lot of different specialties. And of course, increasingly within a DevOps team, there's sort of the proverbial two pizza team that you can feed the whole team with two pizzas. They will have various different types of expertise. And increasingly, I think we see security as one of the types of expertise that'll be built into every team so that you don't end up shipping something that's not secure.
1: And I think also security has just been so top of everybody's minds today because you look at data leaks, you look at all the hacking scandals, you've got nation states that are attacking each other. So security is by far the most emotional one to attach things to. So for a start, if you can solve that and you build that in and it goes away as part of the daily rigor of how you supply software into production and you concentrate on other things.
2: And is there a trade-off that you have to make? Because I know that you have really creative people who are platforming and coding for this new application, this new feature. And you want them to feel like, they're working on the next cool thing or they're just creative because these are really highly creative people. And so they're just sort of creating something that they love to work on. But at the same time, OK, hey, you need to make sure this is secure. Is there a way that you can set them up so that you can when you pull you know, these people in and you have them work on these applications that they're getting to do the creative work that they want to do? But there's that support, whether it's the platform, or whether it's other teams that are Supporting them, saying, hey, look, you go do your creative thing, but we're going to have a team that, that surrounds you that makes sure that what you're doing is as secure as possible. Yeah,
1: I really like that point because we often forget that software development is actually an artisanal pursuit. And the more of our organizations are described through software the easier it'll actually be for organizational teams to come together. So not to dwell too much on security, but a lot of the practices that we have within organizations are typically a Word document that gets filled out. It typically is a ticket system that gets raised. So the more of these barriers get broken down through automation and everybody comes together and expresses their job as part of code, the easier we'll actually be able to deliver on that artisanal pursuit.
0: And I guess the other part of this too is that, you know, if you have a you know, decently sized organization, you're going to have a whole lot of DevOps teams all responsible for a whole lot of different products. And ultimately, they're going to run across some common problems. So maybe it would be something like PCI compliance, right? You wouldn't want to have to go and solve that problem every single time in every team. And so you end up pulling that into a common tools team can then go and solve that problem once and provide the capabilities that you need out to every team. So not every DevOps team has to become experts in PCI compliance.
1: That's a great example. And we've seen that level of rigor, depending on the maturity of a an organization apply to other things. So for example, PCR compliance, as you say, right? Or solving the pad left problem from a few years ago within the JavaScript community. If you're ingesting a new library, and being able to then build how rapidly that gets adopted through your organization, you will supply support through your SRE team or through some other application platform yeah, team. Site, re- site Reliability yeah, Engineer. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when you see that that trend is going down, all of a sudden less of your teams are actually starting to utilize specific capabilities, then you want to get them as far out of your organization as possible and as quickly as possible.
2: This is a lot of really good perspective from the actual sort of in the trenches development perspective from, let's say, an executive perspective, the leaders that are coming in and want to lead a team that then delivers ultimately that differentiating value in the market so that they're able to meet consumer demand as it comes when something new hits the horizon, like we want to do that or add that feature in. How should they be looking at whether that's acquiring talent, whether that's setting culture? I mean, you made a couple of really great reference to it. It's like to in job descriptions, you need to be really looking at this is the value prop for mm-hmm. them, but this is also the expectation from the business. How should leaders be really looking at taking those next steps to from all of those buckets from security, compliance and talent? And then articulate that to the rest of their exec staff and the board. I know that's a lofty topic and it's a tough one. It's a tough one to tackle. Yeah. I mean,
0: one thing that I think been proven to work pretty well is if the leader of the IT organization is thinking of his job or her job as delivering value to the business, then, and they can drive that value down through their organization in a way that kind of cuts across silos, that can have a really big impact. So, you know, once upon a time you would have a network team and you would have said, The network team has to keep the network up all the time. So your metric of success is the network never goes down. And consequently, you end up with a network that never gets touched because nobody wants to change anything. And the network team is famously the bottleneck for everything because you have to wait for the next change window to get anything touched.
2: Just blame the network.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so that model of the definition of success is it never goes down. That's not a very good way to define success. Alternatively, if you say the job of the network team is to support this overall mission of delivering value to the business. then what does that mean? Well, it actually means we've got a platform that application teams can consume to deliver these applications quickly, securely, reliably. So now the network team has to be thinking, what's my value delivered up to the application team? How am I interacting with the storage team, with the security team? And if you sort of think, instead of just having a silo with a very kind of inside the box definition of success, instead of that you have this sort of cross silo approach where all of your groups have to be delivering value up to the business, then this is a big cultural change, right? And you know, the organizations where I've seen this done really successfully, it is driven by a very passionate leader who will say, we are not here to just have a network that never goes down. We are here to have a platform that's delivering value to the business. And making that value apparent to everybody else in the organization is kind of how you drive it. So a lot of this comes down to the old truism about people and process are so important in making these kind of change. You are fundamentally changing the culture of a lot of these organizations to have them think about a different metric of
1: success. I think you're alluding to also the new pattern that we're seeing in terms of having a team that's a provider and another one that's a consumer. Mm. And it goes all the way through the service of an organization. So if you look at, as you mentioned, networking and there's compute, there's storage, you put those two together, three together, and all of a sudden you've got an API driven abstraction for the underlying components. You keep going and all of a sudden you're providing higher level value. So you start to get into application services, whether that would be, so for example, load balancing whether that be security as a service, whether that would be identity and associated uh, capabilities. The question then is, how do you remove the friction for the consumers to actually benefit from what you're creating? And this is a leadership decision that most of the executives have to make what are the metrics that they bestow upon their business? That's where their business will go. Because if they state that churn and agility is what we're after, then teams will automatically organize around those. But if they say stasis and predictability of our business is up by far the most important metric that I will goal everybody on, then you will never see any change whatsoever.
2: I like that. I like connecting to removing friction and setting metrics, measuring what you really want to achieve, moving that friction and then getting that result that you want. And then really standing, sounds like standing behind it is one of the big things. You have to be up there so the whole rest of the team knows that if they try something new and they fail, but it was still under your directive of trying to achieve what the business is trying to achieve, then they'll have cover. No one's going to point fingers at them. No one's going to stab them in the back. Or at least hopefully no one's going to try to. Bruce, Roman, is there anything else that you'd want to leave a listener with to let them know this is the first step that they should take? This is the next thing that they should do. Here's the next conversation they should have when they're either talking to their CIO
1: or they're talking to their board. I think one important aspect and not to unravel the conversation that we didn't touch on is the importance of open source in a lot mm. of these both in terms of embedding new technology, but actually learning how teams organize themselves and how they deliver value. And so there's a lot of material that exists out in the open sphere around how do you ingest open source technologies, but more importantly, how do you benefit from the lessons learned of teams that got together around providing value and not necessarily under a corporate umbrella. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned from open source, if if I would.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The example of Netflix comes up a lot Mm. because they've done a really nice job of documenting a lot of the work they did around becoming a DevOps kind of organization. And part of that journey for them was they created a lot of tools, which they then open sourced. And I think from their perspective, they didn't view their tools as a competitive differentiator. It's probably the content is their competitive differentiator. And so making their tools open source meant they could get a bigger community helping them build these tools. Again, it's an important value that they kind of realized what's our business? It's delivering content. How are we going to do that really well? We're going to have really, really good infrastructure and we're going to leverage a much bigger community of infrastructure people to make sure that that we have the best capabilities to deliver that.
2: Yeah. Something you mentioned, I really love the piece where it's really them deciding what is their value, prop? Uh, what's unique to that business, what are we providing the market that no one else is, or what do we wanna be the best at? And just do that. I mean, from a strategic level, if many companies could just decide, hey, we're in the businesses of building the best software applications for backend, yada, 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 which most people aren't, they can say, you know what, we're not the best at that anymore. Let's go ahead and focus on doing this. And open source seems like a huge opportunity to say, hey, look, this is not part of our proprietary business. We're just going to open this up and we're going to go ahead and just focus on, for Netflix, we're going to focus on content. We're a content company. We're an experience company. I love like his famous quote. is like, we're competing against sleep. That Netflix always likes to say. It's like, our competition is sleep. We don't want you to sleep less. We want to create so much good content that you're not going to go to sleep till like midnight every night. But then taking everything else and just putting it off the table. Well, Bruce, Roman, thank you for joining the CIO Exchange podcast.
1: All right. It's been great. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you for listening to the CIO Exchange podcast. For more conversations with technology leaders from around the world, consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep
1: research, visit VMware.com slash